93.7 Express FM. Hello and welcome to another coronavirus special podcast. On the show this week, we spoke to leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson, about some positive statistics that have come out of the last few days in and around Pompey. We will also discuss transport and testing and also the schools reopening with him as well. Uh, and then a little bit later on, car showrooms have been able to open reopen this week. So we will be talking to Paul Hendy, the chief executive of Hendy Group, about how they have been getting on three days into reopening very shortly as well. And also, we have a newly elected Lord Mayor of Portsmouth. Councillor Rob Wood was officially selected just a few weeks ago and we'll be finding out his plans for the year and his reaction to the pandemic as well. And then a little bit later on, we will hear from business coach Ian Dixon, who gives us his top tips for business networking in a time of a lot of uncertainty. As always, if you have a question for the coronavirus special, you can email me, robbie at expressfm.com and we will kick off with our first guest, leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon-Jackson. Hi, Gerald. Good evening. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Nice to have you on again. Um, let's start let, Let's start with those positive numbers then that you will have heard me just read out. Um, they Every week they do get more positive and every week they do give us more hope. Yes, I think it's, it, it's really good that it looks as if the number of people um, who've caught it, um, this virus in Portsmouth, has stalled. Um, we've got no no outbreaks in care homes. The numbers of people who've been tested positive in the city don't go up. Uh, and actually, it seems as if we've been one of the most successful places in the country about stopping the infection. There are, I think, 313 councils in England. And in terms of infection rates, we're at number 299. And for an incredibly densely populated city... That's an amazing achievement. What do you put it down to? I think because people have really worked hard and been really sensible uh, about doing social distancing, staying at home, and they've taken it really seriously. Um, And and I think everybody just knows what the rules are, and not everybody obeys it all the time, but very, very large numbers of people do almost all the time. And let's touch whilst we're, whilst we're on the sort of the, the numbers side of things then. Let's touch on, on this uh, announcement made by the Prime Minister today, Boris Johnson, saying that COVID-19 tests will be turned around in 24 hours by the end of the month. That was his promise. Do you think that that is, f- for, for Portsmouth, is that realistic? My worry is that the, the letter that came in yesterday from the head of UK statistics said that the numbers being used in the reports about testing in the UK was not being done in an open and transparent way, that that the numbers are just being used for political reasons. So uh, they include tens of thousands of people who've been sent kits to home tests. Nobody counts how many are sent back and how many of the people then get results. Um, I, I hope the testing system gets better. Um, there are reports today that one in five of the negative tests are wrong. Um, but I think there's a long way to go, and I think the government really has to up its game because we've got to make sure that everybody is tested relatively frequently as a way of people being able to be isolated if, if they've got the disease but don't have any symptoms because they're the people who, now the lockdown's been released a bit, will be going out and about and, and seeing other people and potentially passing um, the disease on to others without any knowledge that they're doing so at all. 
And that's where that, that that's where the problem is at the moment, isn't it? Because yeah. if 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 we are starting to like was said, starting to see these relaxation of of lockdown rules, and yeah. I think people seem to trust in 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 all the medical fields. They seem to trust that all the testing is 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 working behind the scenes. But it, what you're alluding to is that it's not necessarily. Well, I think the numbers of being tested, um, successfully tested, and getting results are many fewer than the government are announcing. Um, which is why the head of the UK Statistics um, Office wrote to the health secretary yesterday. I also think that we, as, we, as we learn more, we also learn where there are potential problems. So I was talking to people today uh, about home carers, um, and, and, and we're putting in steps to try to make sure that we've got additional capacity. Because if somebody is a home carer um, and they they got the disease but they don't have any symptoms then they're not only taking it around to the clients that they support and look after at home they're also taking it around and, get, and to the um to the other people the members of staff who work with them who then take it to another group of people so there's way more testing that we need to be doing um of people uh, and not just once but we might need to test some people on a really regular basis if they're looking after people who are vulnerable. And do, do you think that the, there's anything more that the, the, the councils can do and any more we, that we can do on a, on a smaller scale? No, because this has got to be done nationally. So the, we just need the government to up their game a bit on this. If you look at places that have been successful, like South Korea and Taiwan, mm. who, who should have been hit really, really badly, the, the way in which they did um, the testing and tracing stuff worked really well, and they did it from right at the beginning. We seem to have been coming to this very late, and I think that's going to be a problem that might mean that we're going to get a second wave of this. Do you, do you think we will get a second wave, yeah. in your honest opinion? Yeah, absolutely. I think if we, if we look at what happened last weekend, where it was almost like the top came off the pressure cooker, mm-hmm. um, that there were groups of people out on the common, on the beach, who weren't keeping two metres apart from each other. Um, I, 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 my fear is that that will produce a new, a new peak. Um, I, I hope it isn't. I do hope that we, we, we manage to get by without, it being, without us being hit again, because this country has got one of the very worst death rates of anywhere in the world. And let's just hope it doesn't get any worse. Well, you, you mentioned there the, the the open areas that were that were packed at the weekend, and we saw. I'm, I'm sure we all, we all saw the, the the photos and the videos of places like Durdle Door down in Dorset that were absolutely rammed, and and these were these were all done because you know these beaches were closed. Durdle Door was was a closed yeah. beach, and and there were roads that were closed. How much? How is the? How is Portsmouth going to be regulated in the coming weeks? And if we are going to see weather like this, how how are we going to know that people will actually be you know be held to account if they break the rules? Well, in Britain, we've always operated on a basis of self policing. Uh, that there will be patrols around police, community wardens, but they're not very many. Um, we rely on on people doing the right thing in this country because it is the right thing. And, and that's going to be a really important part of, of what happens over the next, next few months. I think we're lucky with our, with our seafront that the, the, 
and there's actually a lot of space. Um, so people can distance from each other if that's what they're going to choose to do. Um, I hope the police are able to educate people um, and, and, and try to make sure that people behave well. Um, but it's, it's down to us as a community. Um, in exactly the same way with the rubbish, we as people cause the rubbish. Mm. We should take responsibility for it and take it home and get rid of it and not just dump it around the place. We as people and members of the community are the people going down to the seafront, going out to the public places. Uh, we just need to make sure that our behaviour means that we're not putting other people at risk. I suppose the problem is, though, that that it is and it has this weekend like like i said those you know seeing seeing the beaches the beaches packed yeah. it, I, I we can say all this about you know that that people are we're policing ourselves and and that is exactly that's what we all we all would love to see but the 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 sort of the harsh reality is that it's not always happening like that so how much how how has your communication been with sort of people like the police and how are they likely to likely to enforce these rules more so the the police will be about and about but we've got to be realistic they the police in this patch of Hampshire are dealing with two murder inquiries. Mm. Um, and so their resources are really heavily tied up in that. Um, somebody was, one of the councils was telling me that um, police came to um, somebody on a house on their road and to break up a party, um, came with seven coppers. That's probably half the number of police available in the whole city. So the numbers are tiny. We have to make we we can rely on the police to do some of this stuff, but we as we as community we have to take responsibility as well. Oh, well we we take all of these um, whenever I talk to you, Joe. We we take these random left turns and go go to different <laughs> topics. And I'm gonna do I'm gonna do another one now, and we're gonna suddenly move from that to uh, to the schools just because of time. So I just wanna I just wanna f- find out from you how the reaction has been over the over the last few days. Of course, schools reopening to uh, certain year groups uh, uh, over the last few days. What what's the what's the latest been? What's the reaction you've had? Uh, it, it, I think everybody has been pleased that some more kids can go. Um, I think all the schools will be up and running by the 15th. Um, so um, different schools have, have, have done different things. On the whole, the feedback I've had from the schools is that parents have been incredibly um, supportive of schools making the right decision for what's going to make sure their kids are safe. Um, and and I think that's been that's really good. So I think it's going well, um, but we'll just have to see how it develops over the next few days. It, it's only third day in there. Yeah, I, I think we heard. I think the number on Monday uh, nationally was about the attendance, uh, the attendance rate being between about forty and seventy percent. Do you do you know if that's? Uh, I know. You, do you know I, I if don't that's? I know the exact number here in Portsmouth. I'm sorry. I would have expected it to be lower than that. Mm. I, a lot of parents have talked to me about how worried they were about taking their kids to school too early. Have there been any instances, do you know of, of many instances of it being the other way around in terms of, uh, it, you know, parents changing decisions and sending, you know, sending kids back? And that, that is something that, that parents are yeah, able yeah. to do. They can yeah. one day just make a decision to send their child, yeah, child well, back. Well, and there are. So, so we have issues with... Some um, of so so for instance, parents who are key workers, who um, have 
in the past said, no, actually, we, we're OK, we're not going to be sending our kid to school, now wanting to, and the trouble is that they, we haven't got space for them um, because uh, somebody else has come forward and, um, and taken that space for their child. <coughs> so we do have things changing all the time, um, and we, schools manage it, they manage these things all the time, and, and I, I trust that they'll do, do so again and do it well. And how how are te- how are teachers from what you've heard? How, how have they? Is it been? Has they expected that? I know. I know. It's I'm, it's only th- three days in here, but uh, has it been what they expected? Have you heard of, of any teachers having uh, bad experiences or anything like that? I haven't. No. I, on, on the whole, all the feedback I've had is, is how pleased teachers are to see the kids again, um, and and how committed they are to making sure that kids get a good education, but also remain safe. Um, and do you think that this is something that will be sustainable for the coming weeks? I think it'll change over time. Um, I think it is likely that we'll get to the point where you might be able to get a third of the kids in school at once. You probably can't get any more than that because there just isn't the space for, for kids to, to do social distancing mm-hmm. um, in the numbers if, if every kid turns up at school. So I think it, we're going to get sort of part-time rotors whatever the government might think of part-time rotors, I think it's going to happen anyway. Just one more thing before before we let you go, Joe. We appreciate your time as always. Um, I've got to go and ki- cook the tea now. Okay. Well, I, I, you can cook the tea after one, one more final topic that I, I want to uh, want to address, and that's just uh, just the transport side of things. Of course, uh, this week we saw the uh, the introduction yeah. of the parking uh, regulations be, being enforced yeah. once again, and and we've also heard of a, a, a temporary bike lane as well that's that's open yeah. now along the Eastern Road. Just yeah. um, update us, if you will, on on firstly how the parking has gone down how it's being regulated i know last week you said that there was going to be sort of generous how's that been and um and also talk us through the bike lane if you will so i think people are on the whole they're fine we're going taking steps back to normality um and that means the resident parking zones are back in they tend to be very popular with people who live in the local area we 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 never get anybody who's once they've got a parking zone, nobody ever wants to get it removed again. Um, or, so we've never had a, a, an area say, no, please take it away. Um, so people are pleased to get that back, pleased to be going back to normal. Um, the, the bike lane, I think, is an interesting experiment. And, and the government's given us some money to do some of these experiments when traffic volumes are down a bit. And so one lane of the Eastern Road southbound um, from where the bridge comes onto the island um, down to Tangier Road, where it so that's all two two lanes at the moment. Um, we're taking the lane out to see if that might encourage cyclists. Um, it's an experiment. We'll see how it works. If it works well um, and it doesn't cause traffic chaos, then that might be something that we'll keep for the longer term. If it does, we'll have to review it and 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 take it out if if it does cause traffic chaos. But I think it. It's been very good to get some money from the government to do these sorts of experiments, um, which we couldn't normally afford. But it, it, it's good to learn and see see if we might be able to do things a bit differently. It's amazing how much how much learning will go on in this oh, in, yeah. in the coming weeks, and how much has got, gone on already. Well, I think there's a suggestion. We normally have 1,300 staff at the civic offices. Um, I think the view now is that maybe we can cope with 250, and we don't need the offices like that uh, at all in the future. Um, but but that's a good learning thing for when we're out at the other end of it.
And a few people will have to work on their internet connections before that oh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, Gerald, we, we appreciate your time as always. We'll, we'll let you go and make your, make your dinner now. What's on, what's on the menu this evening? Uh, I'm, on pasta, I'm on pasta duty today. A stalwart, a stalwart of the dinner menu. Uh, listen, Gerald, thank you so much once again for your time. Cheers, then. Look up, yourself and, 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 and do keep, keep well and safe. Express FM. Car showrooms, of course, thanks to the uh, lifting of lockdown restrictions on Monday, were able to reopen their doors to customers, um, mainly by appointment to avoid overcrowding. And of course, showrooms are generally spacious, making it fairly easy to adapt to social distancing measures as one-way systems have also uh, controlled the flow of people. Going to talk more about this now to Paul Hendy, the chief executive of Hendy Group. Evening, Paul. Robbie, how are you? Very well, thank you. Um, all good with you? Yeah, no, we're, we're very good, thank you. And uh, delighted to be open again. So that's uh, brought a real spring into everybody's step. Fantastic. Well, I want to come on to, we'll come on to that in, in, in just a second. But if we, um, if we start just sort of in the last few months, in the last few weeks, I, I imagine it's been a, a, a difficult time for, for you, um, as it has been for so many local businesses. Yeah, well, it, it certainly presented a challenge, uh, that's for sure. That would be a bit of an understatement, one which, uh, of course, we weren't expecting. But um, uh, it's uh, it's been uh, an interesting time. That's probably one way to put it. But uh, I'm really pleased with how my team around me have uh, responded to that challenge and um, got through it, quite frankly. It's been, uh, it's been a test, but the team have been amazing. So when was it that you initially sort of decided that you would uh, you would open? Of course, we, we heard from the government that, you, you know, car showrooms would be allowed to open a, a few weeks ago. But how did the sort of the decision making process regarding you opening this week? When did, how did that come about and when did it start? We were we were making preparations to open probably uh, several weeks ago, but believe it or not, because, of course, at the time we were getting um not so much mixed messages, but a lack of clarity about the actual date when we would be able to physically open the showrooms. So um, it, it sounds easy just just to open the buildings up, but there was there was an awful lot more work that was required in terms of making sure that all the correct protocols had been adhered to, and and in fact that we thought of of everything. We we hope we had um, so that we could make everything as safe as possible for our colleagues and our customers. So uh, that, that, amount of, that was an incredible amount of work, which we got through. And um, we were ready to open probably three or four weeks out. And um, we were just then sitting and waiting to hope that the physical showrooms could open sooner rather than later, which, of course, um, we still had some time to wait. But in the meantime, we took to transacting online. So uh, pleased to say we did a significant amount of business online during the period. And, of course, our workshops were allowed to open a couple of weeks ago. So we, we've sort of been opening in a sort of phased, um, with a phased approach, um, which seems to have worked. And here we are, day three of having the physical showrooms open. And I'm delighted to report that, you know, business has been pretty brisk, to be honest. And how, how has it sort of been? Because I suppose this is the, the sort of this week has been the more customer facing side that has been that's been opening. You mentioned your workshop's been open for, yeah. for a couple of weeks. So, so how is it? How has it sort of um, what logistically has gone into place? What what do, will customers now expect from your showrooms? Yeah. So um, obviously there's there's a lot more space in the showrooms. We've we've taken some some product out to create that that additional space for people so that we can observe all the social distancing rules. 
There's obviously hand sanitizing stations. Um, uh, one way in, one way out, where, where possible. Uh, there's sneeze screens uh, on the desks. Um, there are sofa, you know, more social areas for the customer would prefer to do that. Uh, or, of course, um, we can take appointments. And uh, even now we can offer a, an unaccompanied test drive, if that's what the customer would like, which has um, obviously been something we haven't done in the past. But we've taken that leap of faith. So it's all about restoring, I think, uh, a high level of confidence for the customer that it's safe. But also we've got to make sure that our colleagues within the company feel that it's safe for them too, because that's vitally important. So we hope we've thought of everything. Um, And so far, the feedback's been fantastic. So very good. And like you said, it is quite a it's, it's a big leap of faith that you know that the customers are allowed to to go on their own for the, for these test drives. I, I, I'm assuming you've got all all of your cars back. Yeah, <laughs> we have. I mean, <clears throat> you know, if they come in their part exchange, they'll obviously have the keys to the part exchange. They might even have to leave their house keys or their children. You know, I don't know, but um, we obviously um, clearly will have had a significant amount of dialogue with those customers who wish to take another company test drive um it it is uh, obviously it comes with some risk we're trying to mitigate that risk mm. and and really just trying to help uh, engineer a different way of doing business in what's you know been a pretty unusual time for everybody and do you think that this will? Do you think that this is going to be a sustained change in in the way that that your industry and and obviously other industries as well operate? Yeah, I, I think so. I think you know we we we're very much taking the view that um, we're, we're looking at what we've called a sort of blended approach to things, whereby should, should a customer wish to uh, buy online, uh, reserve a vehicle, and 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 have that home delivered. That's absolutely fine. Now we've 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 managed to uh, to sort that out. We we can uh, we can do click and collect where you can buy it online and come and collect it from the dealership, um, or of course we can do it the what the more traditional way where you you come and see us and we we look after you right the way through. So I think it has made uh, all of us look at new ways of doing business. It was probably things that we were talking about, but we've had to simply just get on with it and. Mm. Um, bring it into play now, you know, because we've got to be out there um, as best we can with our front foot forward, you know. And what's the what's the impact, what's the feedback been from from your employees? You said that you've had some a lot of uh, positive customer feedback, and of course the customers would, you know, that they have that element of freedom, don't they, that they can, you know, decide whether or not they want to come. But how have your employees um, fed back to you recently? I have to say, and I was in a couple of the dealerships in Portsmouth today, uh, I was at our Caution branch and over at the car store in, in Portsmouth. Um, <clears throat> the, the response has been amazing. I have to say the team have been brilliant. You know, they've had to remain patient with us and everybody else while they've been on lockdown. But the, the mood and the spirit, the energy and the enthusiasm um, is amazing. Um, everybody is so delighted to be back. And just trying to get on with the, with, with returning to, to, to good levels of business. And I think, from what I, certainly from what I've seen today and, and some of the business we've already done this week, you know, it's a really, really positive start. So the team have been amazing. Brilliant. Well, it's, not, it's nice to hear that, 
that the you know people are able to go back to work, your employees, and it's nice to know that your, your customers are able to 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 once again go and buy their cars and, and you know go return to some form of a form of normal. So um, listen, yeah. Paul, thanks for thanks for talking to us, and we're we're pleased it's going well, and um, and all the best. Absolutely, no Rob, uh, problem, Robbie. Anytime. Paul Hendy, Chief Executive of Hendy Group. We've got Kate, a worker at JKM Motor Services in Portsmouth on the line as well. Hi, Kate. Yeah, hi, Robbie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Kate. Um, so talk to me about what's, uh, what the last few days have been like for, for you and for, for JKM. You, you opened with full capacity on Monday, yeah? We did indeed, yeah. So we've been closed since the um, end of March, really. Um, we've been here for key worker vehicles, so to keep anyone who was classed as you know emergency key worker on the road um but we basically took the team down to one person during that time um so we're usually a team of five um so everyone else was off um all furloughed all all of the at home looking after themselves and their families and then we made the decision with things starting to ease out of lockdown to come back on monday and it's been pretty hectic since, if I'm honest. So everybody's back. Um, phones are ringing. Emails are coming in. And, yeah, it's looking good. And how, how easy has it been to implement these uh, sort of the social distancing uh, rules, of course, and things like that? Because this industry is generally one. I mean, I, I don't know much about it, but if you're working on a card, there might be maybe two people often working quite close proximity of, of, of sort of things had to change in that sense, processes. Exactly that, yeah. It's been it's been quite tough. We've had um, plenty of time to, to put some processes in place and to review how we work. Every industry is the same. No matter what industry you're in, all of us have had to make changes. So we've got changes from when the customers come into reception to how they drop their keys off, how they now collect, how they pay. We've also got procedures for the staff. So we've had to stagger their lunch breaks so they're not all in our tea room at the same time, for instance. And we've got plenty of PPE gear here. So we've got masks, gloves, we've got hand washing facilities, we've got seat covers and floor mats. All the technicians are used to using most of that generally. But now if I've got two or three guys that are on a car taking an engine out, it's impossible to do that two metres apart. So we've had to provide them, you know, with the PPE so that they can they can do their job safely while they're here. And what, where's that PPE come from? Where's that being sort of sourced? Is it something that you've had to go out and... and... We've had to go out and find it, yeah. So as I say, we have suppliers already that already provided us with gloves and seat covers and, and floor mats for, for car protection, which is what we've always used in the industry. And we're lucky enough that that when this all started to happen and, you know, lockdown sort of started to, to come into play, we contacted our suppliers who provided us with quite a bit of that for the foreseeable future to ensure we didn't run out. Um, but like any business, you know, we've had to find suppliers of masks, which unfortunately are, are costing more and more supply and demand. Uh, we've had to get some hand sanitizer in. We've got hand sanitizer on the reception wall outside for customers to use. But all of that is down to us as a small business to, to lay out the cost for, unfortunately. Has there been much um, sort of communication from from anywhere? Sort of because you are you, you know in a in a strange way you're, you're the the one of the first bands of people to to reopen and one of the first industries to sort of start to open up again. And how how much communication has there been through sort of maybe the the council or the government in the last few weeks leading up to this? 
Yeah, so Portsmouth City Council have actually been really, really good. Um, we've had emails from them on a regular basis with regards to processes that are in place, what we can do as a small business, what Portsmouth City Council can do to help us. So they've been, for, from our perspective as a, as a business within Portsmouth, they've been fantastic to us. We've also got a garage body, an independent body, which is linked to um, the trade industry that we belong to, and they've been providing us with regular updates with regards to risk assessments that we need to do and processes that we need to put in place. So, so as a, an independent garage industry, we've had lots of support, which has been great. And and how's the the feedback? Be? Well, first of all, before we get to Monday, how was how were your your employees feeling? Were they expressing concerns in the run up to Monday, or were they quite quite relaxed about it? Yeah, I think because we've kept them in the loop all the way. Uh, we've always been a company that has, has worked with our employees, so we are only a small team. Uh, we're a family orientated company, so. Everybody is involved at every step with decision-making process and how we're going to operate going forward. And the, the staff are all on board with regards to what we needed to do to be able to operate safely, really. And do, do you think it's an interesting point you make there just about the, the fact that, you know, you're a family-run business, so everyone gets a little bit of a say as to, as to the, the decisions that are made. And these decisions at the moment are so, they're so personal to us, aren't they? And they, they affect every single one of us. Do you think that that's sort of where that, that's going to benefit a lot of small businesses in the, in the coming future as, as places start to open up again more than it'll benefit, you know, the, the, the bigger businesses that employees don't get as much of a say? Definitely, yeah. I, especially you know, it's a very worrying time for people, um, and I think the more that staff can be involved in how they they operate during the day and what processes are in place for them, and that they are fully aware that you know if anything happens, that you know a company is ready to support them and to look after them. Hopefully, in a way that you know we would want to be treated ourselves should anything happen. Um, I think that's where small businesses will you know have the edge over some of the larger ones that that will just make a decision with their employees almost just being told what to do at the end of the day. <laughs> mm, exactly. Yeah, the, 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 I think there'll be a lot of um, there's going to be a lot of conflict in the in the coming weeks for, from those employees. And just finally, before we let you go, Kate, how's the what's the feedback been like from customers? And what you know, what do you you obviously get to see them day in day out? How how do customers actually sort of look? How do they do they look anxious sort of coming into these places and having to sort of deal with people when it's not this sort of essential food shopping or whatever it might be? Did, how, what's the mentality sort of look like from your point of view? Yeah, so I think because we're quite um, we don't have a, a massive volume of people coming in to see us on a daily basis. So we've tried to, to stagger uh, customer drop-offs, sort of 10, 15 minutes between um, customers being dropped off to make sure there's only one person in reception. We've got plenty of signage up. We've got hand sanitizer outside the door for them to use. We've got screen protectors up in reception. We've tried to do all we can to put them at ease. And the feedback's generally been that everybody has appreciated that. We make it quite clear either on email when they're booking in or on the phone um, if they've got any concerns to raise them with us, if they're a customer that's potentially in a high-risk category, you know, if there's anything extra that we would they would like us to do um, and explain the processes that we're doing. And, and generally, the feedback's been really appreciative of, of what we're doing. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased and I'm, I'm pleased that you're able to, um, to, to be trading again because I know it's been such a, such a tough time for, yeah, for thanks, small Bobby. businesses. So I'm so pleased that things are looking up for you, Kate. And thanks for, thanks for your time this evening. appreciate it. You're very welcome. Take care. Express FM. Passionately Portsmouth.
Portsmouth City Council's first public meeting since the lockdown uh, took place began on the 19th of May and it happened via video call where Councillor Rob Wood was officially selected as Lord Mayor for the year. Uh, we got him on the line now, the newly elected Lord Mayor of Portsmouth. Rob Wood, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome everybody out there. Uh, it's a honour to be the Lord Mayor of Portsmouth. Well, for, first of all, congratulations and um, and welcome to to Express. And this is your, your first time on Express as the as the Lord Mayor of Portsmouth as well. Um, ha, how have things been? I mean, what a, what a mad couple of weeks it must be. Uh, it's been something we've never experienced before. So I, I'm very conscious of the fact that it is a unique opportunity. Um, a lot of those have been watching the Dunkirk films and various other things, and there's a bit of that spirit in the air, which is. It's not about ceremonial, it's about uh, reconnecting with people. We've gone through a difficult time. So I'm very appreciative of the fact that perhaps historically I will have been Lord Mayor at a very unique time. And uh, it will be what I do and what Debbie, my, uh, the Lady Mayoress, will do that will define our you, you know, time as uh, the Lord and Lady Mayor. We'll come on to we'll come on to the the sort of the times that we're living in in just a second. But um, just just quickly, if if I may, we'll touch on on what happened on the nineteenth of May. It must have been a, a strange feeling being selected as the Lord Mayor on. Am I right in saying it was on a video call? It was on a video call. Yes. So we uh, prepared the week before uh, to make sure things went as smoothly as possible because obviously it's a public consumption. It was very strange. Um, uh, normally, it's quite a pomp and circumstances, as you know. And so to be behind a screen and to make sure we fitted into the screen and we could see everybody else required a lot of, you know, behind the scenes direction mm. to make sure it went smoothly. And at the same time, uh, you obviously didn't get the connection you would have liked to have get. But we are in modern times. So in a way, I'm glad it went well on the day with a very few hitches that actually happened. So I suppose that the the timing of this, like like you mentioned, is a is a strange one, and and we've kind of we we obviously we're hoping that we've passed the the peak, and we're hoping that um, throughout this global pandemic we we feel like there's there's light at the end of the tunnel now. How how's you how do you feel that uh, up until this point at least, how do you feel Portsmouth has coped um, with, with sort of keeping things at bay? Do you know uh, I, I'm really proud of Portsmouth and Portsmouth people. Um, you know. The facts speak for themselves. We have one that we're right down there as the lowest number of uh, rates of uh, infections and, and deaths, which means that uh, people in Pompey have taken, you know, to making sure that they're abiding by the rules. And uh, to be fair, the few walkabouts I did, you know, to take the exercise, I couldn't help walking my beat, uh, you know, Summerstown and various other places, Old Portsmouth, thing, and I was amazed at how well everywhere people were making sure they stuck to the regime. And I know now the, the cork is somewhat popped, but at this point in time, I think it's reflected in the figures how well we've done in Portsmouth compared to other regions. So that's one up for Pompey brilliant how people have reacted what what do you put that put that down to do you do you feel that it's the sort of it's the the fact that we are quite a historical um city we've had to go through a lot in the past what what what, what can you put your finger on it i i mean i can't i i, I think uh, we're an island and we we're very much proud of being an island so we're mm. a mini set within 
the UK or England as per se. And we have that mentality, but we live cheek by jowl. So I think we're one of the most densely populated regions, a bit like London, cheek by jowl. So we've learned how to get on with each other. And, and we take pride in that. And I agree with you. We have that historical precedence where quietly, you know, we've been at the forefront of what uh, Britain has been about. And I think uh, people take pride in, in the fact that they've t- partaken in historical events. And, and I think that our character comes out and shows that when the, the chips are down, we really do knuckle down. Uh, and I want to come on to, to sort of the coming year, if, if I may, in, in just a second. But looking at the the sort of the few weeks that, of course, you've, you've um, it's been a couple of weeks since you were selected, and, and looking at the short term now, what's the, what's your role in in the sort of situation in Portsmouth? What are you having to sort of do day in day out at the moment? Um, I'm, you're going to hear me say this quite often, and, and it's something my wife Debbie mentioned to me. She, I said to her, "What do you think's going on at that?" And she said, "Well, people are feeling very anxious. You sense it, um, and I think our role is very much about going out there, being available, uh, giving reassurance about where we're going to go." So I've taken that that uh, leaf out of my wife's uh, thinking, and I think that's absolutely spot on. So. The rule book has gone out about exactly what we're going to do. So we are just trying to make ourselves as available as possible, whether that's via online or just simply walking about, you know, socially distancing, being available and supporting people in their recovery and making sure, like you said, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, We have had the opportunity to, first of all, comply, but now there's an opportunity to say, so what do we now do into the future? So we're going to make ourselves available. We're going to make sure that we are there to chat to people, to help the city recover, and basically do whatever is required in Portsmouth to make sure we come out this in the best way possible. And what sort of, um, if there are going to be any any changes in the the way that we sort of we start to live as a society and as a city, and uh, lots of suggestions of the new normal, what do you what what do you actually see those as, as sort of physically being? Because there's been so much um, sort of high uh, high sort of thrown around recently. What do you see actually being sort of maybe implemented in the coming months? Uh, Certainly, while we were in lockdown, I think people got a lot closer to uh, looking at the minor detail and nature and the environment. And I Mm -hmm. think uh, there is a movement now to try and encapsulate and capture the good things that came from the lockdown in the city to make sure we try to find a balance between, obviously, the modernity of the world versus understanding what nature is about and and how we got back in touch with it. And there's also the thing about family. I mean, very much... uh, uh, I have grandchildren and I, you know, my wife and I really miss the physical presence, uh, presence of, you know, just giving them a hug. And that's going to be something that people will remember about how they felt during that period of time. And I think also it's, it's a case of us being together because uh, a lot of us have understood that maybe as youngsters, we're not supposedly as, as well likely to, to suffer from this as the older generation. So much of this time has been about protecting the older generation. And I think a lot of the the voluntary sector, uh, like the Hive and et cetera of that, have sprung up and people have come to the forefront to help each other. And that's a tremendous thing about helping people. And I hope that spirit goes forward.
There's certainly been that uh, uh, been mentioned a lot that sort of rediscovering sense of community, hasn't there, through, throughout all Absolutely. of this? Absolutely. And, and, and I, I remember as well your your predecessor David Fuller, um, obviously put a lot of focus into raising money for for sort of local charities, and and you mentioned there yourself. Places like Hive have basically kept the city going, haven't they, for the last for the last few months? Um, and how much Absolutely. of your work will be sort of centred around these charities that are going to sort of probably need help more than ever at the moment? Uh, practically a big chunk of that, because um, I'm a great believer in charity begins at home. That's about the local community, local volunteering groups, local charities that help us directly on the ground. So I will very much be doing following on what from David Fuller did. He did a tremendous amount of having a community chest, which is really a funding stream for local charities to bid into. I'm going to carry that forward and be more inclusive, if you like, with the local organizations that have sprung up meanwhile, like the Hive, so that they can bid in. So my work out there in terms of charities is really to fill the coffers and allow the people, the local people and the local charities to say how it's going to be distributed. Um, it will be uh, governed as it is currently now for David Fuller by the Hampshire and Isle White Community Foundation to give it the governance mm -hmm. to make sure the right thing happens. But it will be very much centred around fundraising locally. Initially, that's going to be tough. So I guess somewhere along the line, uh, my website will have something like a, a just giving, just to start the ball rolling, because part of it is very much centred around having events. And as you would be aware, that won't happen until later in the year. Mm. So I'm very much going to go out there, be very visible, encourage those who can give to give, and later on encourage those who can attend events or I can attend events for them to be charitable for the city and for those who have suffered. And, and just finally, before before we let you go, we appreciate your time uh, on the coronavirus special. What what advice? What would you give? What would you say to to people listening now, the residents of Portsmouth that feel like there is light at the end of the tunnel, but are still anxious about what might be what might be coming because there's still lots of unknowns. We just know what those unknowns are slightly more now. I think the older generation went through the war. They got to the other side. And they know what it's like. I think the younger, younger generation is new. But there is always lighter at the end of the tunnel. People have a, a great capacity to get, come together and help themselves. And I think we will look back at this and say, wow, we've got from that side to this side. And we're, we're capable of doing that. Well, thank you very much for, for, for those words and, and thank you for, for taking the time out of your day to speak to us as well on the show this evening. Um, and congratulations once again on, on being elected as Lord Mayor of Portsmouth. Thank you very much and thank you for everybody out there. I will do my best. The newly, new, newly, I should say, elected Lord Mayor of Portsmouth, Councillor Rob Wood, on the coronavirus special. Just something quickly before we go uh, this evening, a little bit different, a little bit quirky this. Uh, it's from Darren Gamblin earlier this week. He spoke to business coach Ian Dixon, uh, who set out his top tips for business networking in a very every second counts format. So if you're uh, running a business or part of a business at the moment, then this might well help you. Business networking has been in the top three things that you should be doing to grow your business. And that is exactly the same today. If not, it's nudged up um, in the top three to sit at one of the most important things that you can do at the top of the list. And I want to share with you some reasons why with our every second counts theme. 
on the basis that there may be more than one answer to the question. And if you get the answer right, you win some time. If you get the answer wrong, you're going to lose some time. Uh, with this Every Second Counts theme, should I network? Uh, should I wait network offline or should I be networking online? The, the correct answer is you should absolutely be networking online. Um, to use that horrible pivot word, uh, networking has pivoted online into Zoom boxes all around the planet very, very well, uh, to the extent that I've just spent three days, literally three nights in Australia doing exactly that. I've been working from 1am to 7am the last three days uh, with people down in Australia and networking with these people. And it works perfectly, absolutely perfectly. So, so if you haven't tried it yet, I'd highly recommend it. The correct answer, you absolutely should be networking online. Um, get yourself into a Zoom box. Uh, instead of sharing a greasy sausage, you can network in your slippers and your gym jams from the waist down. Um, you uh, don't have to worry about queuing up in, in traffic to get there. You don't have to pay for the car park and you don't have to eat the greasy sausage and bacon. You can literally get in front of your screen and network more efficiently, I believe, than you would have done if you'd have got in your car and gone somewhere. So, so as a compromise, I would say it works incredibly well online. The next question that you'd be asked was, um, how uh, is if you when you're networking is being asked if somebody said to you, "How's business with you?" Um, is should you tell a truth or a lie? So now here's the thing: it's pointless going networking and running around these rooms, or whether that be online or offline, and telling people everything is rosy if it's not. You need to be open and honest with those people that you network. I mean, you don't need to tell them what your bank balance is, but what you do need to do is help them understand how you, they can help you. So, and finding a way to get that across uh, without saying, you know, I'm, like, I desperately need to work, find ways to get that message across that uh, telling, ultimately telling lies when you go networking is, is a pointless exercise. Like, so many people I know that have networked over the years and basically smiled and said, Business is fabulous. And I think, well, why did you get up at quarter to six in the morning then and scrape your windscreen and come down here and share a greasy sausage with me? So it really doesn't make any sense. Right. So another good question every second counts is how long is 60 seconds? It might sound like a crazy question to ask. 60 second pitches, are they one minute long, two minutes long or three minutes long? People, a 60 second pitch is 60 seconds. That's why it's called a 60-second pitch. It's such bad, just bad press, just to like ramble on for minutes and minutes. 60 seconds, for those that, here's a top tip. 60 seconds is about 150 words. So if you're unsure whether or not what you're going to say is going to overrun, write out a few. Back in 2004 when I first started networking, my coach got me to write out 50, 50, 60-second pitches. Now, I didn't write out 50. I wrote down about 15 or 20 of them, and it certainly got me into a place where I understood exactly how long a 60-second pitch took. So, right, next question. Um, <clears throat> what should I say when I do my pitch? Buy my stuff. Uh, am I unique, or should I just be passionate? So, First of all, you never say buy my stuff. It's the last thing that should be in your 60-second pitch. So it is not a pitch for business. It's a pitch for who you are, and it's a pitch 
for what you do. It's not a pitch for buy my stuff. So the most important tip I can give you with your 60-second pitch is to be really passionate about what you do. We buy at an emotional level, and the more um, emotional and passionate you are about in your 60-second pitch about what you do, and the more we understand who you are as a person the more uh, congruent and engaged we're going to be with you as a person. Something a little bit different there, a little bit quirky, that is Ian Dixon, a business expert uh, on the coronavirus special. A big thank you to him, a big thank you to all of my guests this week. As always, if you have a question or a query, anything you'd like us to try and answer and tackle in the coming weeks, you can send me an email on robbie at expressfm.com and the coronavirus special returns on Wednesday from 6.